Hello everyone and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week we're going to be pondering what we would do for a one-shot adventure. Baz is still off gallivanting on his adventures. So we have once again the stunt Baz that you've all been clamouring for, Mr Guy Milner. How are you doing Guy? I'm doing very well, very well. Glad to be back, glad to have uh, can return. It must have been the, the, the number of complaints written in must have been... Uh... Fewer than expected, then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we get complaints, but that's that's engagement, as far as I'm concerned. So <laughs> it's all good. They're all it? positive. Is the way I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, use the square of everything. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. There's no negative. It's all positive. <laughs> so uh, you write a blog called Burn After Running, which is largely dedicated to one-shot games and the the betterment thereof of your quality of one-shots or other people's. And I think originally when the Smart Party blog started out before it became a podcast, we sort of hung our hat on being one-shots yeah. as well yeah. and the good thing. Because generally, because we do a lot of convention gaming, uh, a lot of one-shots to try different games out as well, rather than doing four-year D&D campaigns particularly or something like that. So it's kind of a forte of ours. And if you can kind of like get into some headlines initially, like what's, what's your kind of like top tip or your starter for if someone wants to run a one-shot scenario, what would you lead with? I think my top one for everything is I think entertainment and fun is like the the big one, um, and that that'll trump almost everything else that you can get in a one shot. So things like don't make it too complicated. Um, you don't need to be massively inventive in terms of doing a new thing. In fact, if you're showcasing, um, it should be a showcase for a system or a game, and so it, it's fine to put in like the classic things that would be in that game. Like, if you're doing a and d one-shot at first level, yeah, have it fighting goblins and just make it as good as you can fighting goblins or bandits or whatever. I run quite a lot of fantasy ones where it does tend to be bandits that are my go-to because it's like a classic opponent and you can get a bit of... There's always a reason why they've turned to banditry and you can always work on that. So, yeah, just focus on, focus on fun and entertainment rather than trying to make it complicated or fiddly or showy in that sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does a little bit. I mean, the, the one thing that I always frown at when people put on the internet, when you know someone asks for advice, what should I do in my first game? or And someone says, oh, just have fun, <laughs> because that is non-advice. So when you say make it fun, could you unpack that a little bit to what, what you mean by making it fun or what, like, and entertaining? Is it, does that mean not quite adhering to the system as much as you might normally, or does it mean having interesting characters or you know have you got a way of sort of breaking it down a little bit in terms of what you mean by fun and entertainment i i, I get your point yeah just just go out and have fun isn't always helpful and it's not it's about producing that for there i think pace is really really important i think the, the one thing that I, I certainly find when i'm playing one shots or playing games that that is an absolute killer for me is if it if it bogs down so like plan for pace drive pace be prepared to go maybe a little bit faster than some of your players might prefer um, because you'll get through more stuff then. And, and I think sometimes when you're doing it, I think there are different one-shots. Generally for a one-shot, you're, you're running it for a new group of people. So trying to get your players into describing stuff and feeling a little bit like they're in the, wor- like they're in the world um, as quickly as you can is really important um the, the thing that i i like to do for that and it, it's become a bit of a cliche i do it in like all my games now um is you know at the start of a game where you ca- it's like introduce your character um if you just say introduce your character and you've handed out some pregens what you tend to get is you'll get some players that'll do like 20 minute monologue about their entire life history about when they were when they grew up and ran away <laughs> at the circus and stuff and then you'll get some players that that will be less comfortable with that and will be like oh well i've of, uh, he's a human fighter he wears chain mail and he's got a crossbow um and, and and describe your character is an opportunity to get your players to think in terms of it being like an exciting tv series movie um to get them to actually picture it and think about it as a story so i always do like it's the start of a, the tv series of this game um so we see your character doing something cool a little action scene um talk about it in terms of like old like 1990s TV series that you used to get where the the title sequence used to be made up of like all the best bits of the whole series, didn't it? So they just clip all the bits of them doing it. So what yeah, do we see yeah, you yeah. doing from a previous quest? And so they'll describe their fighter like getting a bead on an orc from like miles away and then just going looking down this crossbow as it, as it splits yeah, it. Yeah. And if you can do that, that just sets the scene for 
actually you can describe stuff and have cool stuff yourself and not not take the whole burden for the description on the gm if that makes sense yeah definitely uh, and i think that's that's a good point because uh, for some people i think certainly if you're approaching running convention games and stuff for the first time is you think you've got to provide all the entertainment and i think there's still some dialogue on the internet and stuff about what you've got to do as a first time gm and it seems to lead towards yeah. you have to have all this stuff prepared and all these different characters and different voices and basically be matt mercer uh, and none of that's true <laughs> so it's a very good point to say one of the first things to do is get your players engaged and try to get them to add some of the entertainment because that's that's kind of like where most of the game is going to come from a lot of the times isn't it or, or certainly for me like one of the advice bits of advice i've been giving some of the guys in germany when i was over there is uh, don't overcomplicate your plots i think you sort of highlighted oh, there yeah, a little bit definitely. but like a to b to c to d plots can be a bit simple and you will get some players who go oh it's a bit obvious so i like, you know, I kind of knew where that was going. But a lot of the time, those scenarios for me have worked out better in a one-shot, especially if you've got a group of players who don't necessarily know each other. They might not know you. This could be the first time playing that system. And having a relatively simple adventure, but bringing out the fun entertainment in terms of what the characters are doing and who they are and that sort of thing, I think generally leads to a better experience for me anyway. Oh, oh yeah, totally. I think I, I was going to say about in terms of structuring your plot, there's there's a few ways, like I've, I've blogged about it a bit, different ways to structure how the kind of scenes will fit together. But yeah, totally. It, it, it isn't the time for like kind of some massive plot where there's multiple things that can happen because apart from anything else, when you're running it, you need to be in the room and actually like thinking about entertaining the players you know is everyone happy is everyone does everyone know what's going on you, a big part of one shots often is teaching the rules um you'll often be running a game that that, that the other people the other players won't know so you've got to have a, a way to get them on board and get them to, to engage with that um just in terms of the a to b to, d, to, to c to d plot um one model that i quite like to use is i think i think it's in robin laws the robin's laws of good games master in that book from way back in the day where it's like a set piece plot so you have like a c are going to happen mm. But how the player characters get between each one is really open. So there's definitely yes. going to be it's going to start with an ambush by the bandits. There's definitely going to be like a raid on the camp and some kind of retribution attack. But how they get from from one to the other, or almost what order sometimes they go in, is is open. So you've got a bit of flexibility there. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you can definitely have like A to B and then the C1 and C2, yeah. but they both lead back to D and things like yeah, that. Yeah. You, know, you can structure it. But yeah, I definitely think like that in terms of um, having scenes that I think are probably going to happen. So if you have them and then ways of getting the players between them, because um, sort of like another aspect of it, I guess, is certainly when people are new, is if you say, what do you want to do? They can tend to freeze up. They go, like, oh I don't yeah, know. yeah. Like I don't know what I don't know what the rules of the world are. Like I don't know what I'm allowed to do in this setting and that kind of thing. So they be, can be a bit hesitant about doing something which is wrong. So I end up not being a bit timid with it or something, just so they don't like mess it up by doing the yeah, wrong thing. Yeah. They'll end up not approaching it as aggressively as perhaps you or I might if we were, you know, a bit more as we like a bit of pace and yeah. like to just do things and see what happens and deal with the consequences kind of stuff. So just be aware, even if you just have some set scenes and that's kind of your adventure in inverted commas, and it is open to get between them, I think it's worthwhile as a gem just having a thought yourself about how you might move them along if they don't get there. Because if they don't come up with something, it's handy just to have something written down, like a one-liner or whatever, so you know how to get them to the next bit. Yeah, and, and that kind of thing of like, if, the, if you don't go to the trouble, the trouble will come to you. So if we think in terms of scenes, sometimes a scene can have different places like the, the I don't know, the, 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 the ambush where the, the Baron sends his men back after you could happen in, in a number of different places. So if, if the players do nothing about it, it'll come to them and they'll have to react with that. Um, I, th I think that's really good, in, really good point in terms of really encouraging the players to, to go for it and engage with the plot that you've got. Some of that is making the plot be something they can't avoid. So set the stakes high mm. enough that it's like, right, the whole town's going to burn down if you don't do something now. And also linking in, if you are using pregens, making them match the plot. So if, if, you, yes. if you've got a villain that, that's, if it is the corrupt baron or whatever, if you can put something in the little paragraph of backstory, um, I'd say probably no more than the paragraph as well. That's another, another tip. Um, so you don't have to read loads about how the baron's done all of them wrong in the, in the past. There's some link to it. It makes it, 
really obvious that everything needs to to point towards them. Um, you, I, we've talked before about I, I know about like red herrings and. You don't need to put red herrings in your plan. You know, the players will come up with them as they investigate. They'll come up with confusing stuff. You don't need to make it any more confusing than than it already is, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth having one twist, but that shouldn't be something that branches off and takes you miles away. It should very quickly come to light that it's a a plot twist. And they should go, oh, I can't believe we fell for that. And then immediately go on to the bit, you know, that is the Doom one or whatever the next yeah. scene, that kind of stuff. So when we say, or when I say A to B to C to D, it doesn't mean a completely railroaded linear plot with no deviations, but it means having something that with a bit of flow through, like you say. I, I suppose we should wind it back a little bit. You've talked about um, characters there. Pre-gens are good. Yeah. We like having pre-gens. I would definitely suggest having pre-gens rather than do characters at the table, unless it's something super simple. Uh, and when you're making your pre-gens, have skills or whatever it is, abilities, powers on the street that will come up in the adventure or will be highly useful. Oh, yeah, useful. definitely. I think if it's, it's, it's... You know, so tailor them to what you... you know, Give them the things that are going to make it obvious, even if you just look at the character sheet, what sort of things their characters will do in the game. Yeah, I think... Well, it's like it's like a Chekhov's gun kind of thing, isn't it? Chekhov's basket-weaving skill um, theory that it's on your character sheet and it looks a big thing. Yeah. I remember a long time ago being in a, a, a con game where I... I, I was like looking through my couch sheet and I realized I had like a crystal ball I could use to scry. Um, and so I'm like, well, it's on my couch sheet. I'm going to use it. We got given the quest. I tried to scry it and that the, the GM obviously didn't expect me to do that. I didn't have anything. I got no cool benefit at all from using my <laughs> like one magical power that I thought it's a crystal ball. It's quite cool. So it, it's that thing of yeah. if this, you can do it kind of both ways when you're prepping. You can uh, match the skills to what scenes you think are going to come up. But also, if you've got your pre-gens, you think, oh, actually, they're like really good at persuasion or charm or whatever. And you look again at the scenes, you think, oh, there's not really an opportunity to use that. Maybe I better have something that, that means the bard can have a good time, if you see what I mean. I'm not, not, obviously, catering to the bard yeah. is, a, is a difficult one if the other players aren't up to it. But, you know, actually going both ways and looking at your pre-gens, looking at that. Um, I would say that sometimes with pre-gens, that there are games, I mean, I've, I've done some one-shots of, of, of more kind of indie games, I suppose, so like Powered by the Apocalypse games, and Pregens doesn't really work for that, but there is a halfway house. So, like, if you're running Urban Shadows on Monster Hearts, um, which are PTA games where it's really to create your character from the playbook, um, what I tend to do is give a limited choice of playbooks. So, and, and, and do some yeah. work to link those into the plot as well. So, like, we'll have a vampire, a werewolf, mm. and a mage as our three pregens and I've got some organizations that link to them rather than sitting down in that at the table and finding out you've got three completely different PCs and then having to do and then the first like hour of the game is really stressful because you think you're right how am I going to get this like um, demon involved in everyone's like how do I need to weave this in the plot when you want to do as much of that prep beforehand so you can just be thinking about the game and concentrating on, on your players if you see what I mean yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned briefly as well, like background and stuff like that. I think the the old hero quest, sort yeah, of like descriptor, yeah. we have a hundred words to describe your character. I think that's like a good benchmark if you can describe the character in a hundred words. I think that's good, uh, and try to put stuff on there, and in the the abilities and all the rest of it that we'll come up with mentioned. But stuff like enemies, like if there is an enemy, yeah. then it should yeah. be the Baron that you think you know behind everything, or like someone to do with the Baron, like he's. You know his champion or his right hand man or something, like do do things like that. Don't just have like some random enemy who's then not going to come into <laughs> yeah, the game. Yeah, make sure it's someone you're going to meet. Yeah, like otherwise. And I suppose the the sort of gotcha that I suggest people avoid. I've had sometimes in games where there'll be a crucial uh, clue or a bit of uh, equipment that's on a character sheet somewhere, and you're relying <laughs> yeah. on the players having thoroughly digested everything on the character sheet yeah. and remembering it at a crucial moment. Like, you know, I've been through entire games where it got to the end of the gym, turned around to one of the players and went, ah, oh, you were a rubbish spy. And he went, what? Yeah. <laughs> we all said, what? And apparently he was supposed to be a spy working for the enemy this whole time, but he missed it because it was, you know, <laughs> he had a four-page background to read through and he didn't, he didn't yeah, fully yeah. appreciate all the details on it. And, you know, a Blue Planet game where we had this one thing and it's like, well, you had, like, the <laughs> Dalithian crystals to put in the reverse resonator. I'm like, yeah. yeah, but we don't know what that means. It was just meaningless yeah. words on my character sheet, you know. So, yeah, as with the plot simple, I think the characters and background or equipment or whatever else in there make it as simple and direct as possible because if everything's new to the player, system, people, everything, it's going to be a lot to take in. So don't try and hide anything or, 
you know, trying to word brownie points later if someone spotted the clever clue you put on the character sheet. Just like make it really obvious on the character sheet, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think we've all had games like that where it's like, oh, but you like you eventually like someone's got the key that we needed halfway through, like somewhere buried in their equipment list. <laughs> you, you can't rely on people just absorbing that all the time. And um, I think backgrounds is really interesting because I, I think there's another opportunity you have. Um, I think I remember it's, it's, it's become less common, but there used to be a trend for getting your pre-gen um, when you sat down at a con game and it'd say what you thought of all yes. the other characters. Yeah, I've done that in the past. So, oh, you think this elf is no good. You know, you can't, she can't be trusted. Um, and, and that, although that gives you some role-playing opportunities, I think a stronger way to do that, if you're prepared to leave it up to the players, is to do that at the start of the session. So... At its most basic, you can say things like, right, okay, in this party, after you've done the scene where you've seen them all doing their cool stuff, right, okay, who's the character in the party who's always got your back and who's the one that you trust the least? And, and maybe have a few questions prepped for that. There's a really good product called uh, Backstory Cards that you can get that's just loads and loads of these questions that can... So it's things like, um, how, did, how did you and X, this, the other character, get, get in trouble with the watch? last week and how did you how did so and so get you out of that trouble that just spending a little bit of time on that at the start although we've talked a lot about pace investing a bit of time at the start in having some bonds between the characters which is i think dungeon world originally isn't it um really does pay back later on in terms of getting some inter-party kind of dialogue and getting the players to realize that they should be talking to each other and they should be kind of having a bit of banter yeah, yeah. I, I used to do that. Um, the free league games are pretty good at that. About having here's a bunch of things yeah. about here's four things you think about other players, and you decide which one it is or character. Sorry. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely worth having something for the person to your left. You think this of, and the person to your right, you think that of, or something similar yeah. to that to get people to engage with each other. And I know, I know, some people like doing half baked characters, as they call it, so they do most of the character generation, but leave a bit for people. Yeah. I'm not. I you know. What, I'm not a fan of that. Because you quite often yeah. leave some points for players and so they can put it where they want and then they will pick things that aren't necessarily in your scenario. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. they're just picking what they fancy and it might not be highly relevant. And then you have to just sort of rewrite the <laughs> scenario on the fly a little bit to include the thing they've just said they want by putting points in it. So, you know, like, like allow, allow some player choice but like, again, limit what you're doing otherwise you're just creating work for yourself at the table. Yeah, I think when I first started running, I run like 13th Age, when I first started running 13th Age one-shots, I think I, I followed some advice somewhere that I'd read that I thought would be a good idea of, in 13th Age, you've got a one unique thing, which is like the thing that makes your your character, well, as you'd expect, the one unique thing that stands out in the yeah. world. So it could be like, you're the only elf with wings or whatever. And I I, I didn't set these for my characters. I thought, oh, it's great, players can do them at the table. And then quickly realized in the first couple of games, like that's like the most like high pressure and hard to explain thing to ask players to do when they've yeah. sat down with a bunch of strangers like just come up with something anything it's like what <laughs> yeah. like, well it could be this uh okay i'll have that then so and <laughs> so I, i've since started doing that i think i've yeah it, 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 it i get what you mean about the, the skills i mean the, the one the thing that i sometimes do in 13th age with skills because you just got backgrounds which are completely open you you make them up so it can be like training montage or um combat veteran um is i i partially allocate those points yeah um but let the players allocate them in game so they don't do them at the start they can say oh well actually i'm i I can climb a mountain i've got like three skill points in it and then you kind of guarantee that they will be able to use it. i mean it it obviously doesn't stop some players picking really obscure ones at the start and then not using them but (laughs) at least that responsibility has been handed to them and i don't feel bad about not having a chance for them to use their i don't know aracocra butchery methods in yeah. the game that they've invented to yeah. do it yeah no yeah i'd say a point i think what 13th age has got like skill per numbers doesn't it so you just get a handful yeah. of points to split in with massive professions so i think that's probably different than playing for example a d100 game where you've got 40 skills and people might put points in all kinds of places that you didn't expect you know? <laughs> yeah there's a lot of them yeah 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 <laughs> they might never use ever there's some skills i think in like call of cthulhu and runequest that i've still never seen used yes. in my like gaming life i don't know like, but if it's written on the character sheet someone might put points in it if you like them so yeah, you gotta yeah. be careful yeah 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 don't do that i think yeah that's quite important i mean another thing that i quite when we're on pregens i think 
I mean, I, I tend to run quite kind of pulpy, high-action games. And there's a balance in your pregens between what you might call niche protection. So mm. if, if someone's playing the fighter, they need to be like the best at using a sword and fighting. Mm-hmm. If someone's playing a wizard, they should be able to do wizardy stuff. And it should be really obvious, like, oh, there's some like scrolls that need deciphering, I'll hand it to the wizard kind of thing. And I think there's a balance between that and then making everyone useful. So when I run quite a few games that, that, that are going to have a bit of a combat focus, so 13th Age is, is a good one, there's going to be fights, there's going to be, everyone's going to be in combat, trying to make everyone at least competent at it so nobody's sat there doing nothing. Um, lots of different games have systems that allow you to do this and, and support and so on. So like in 2D20, you can build up momentum, other people can spend and stuff, but it's no fun having a pregen if you're, playing a kind of F20, go down to the dungeon and, and kill some monsters game. If you've got a, someone who's playing a scribe yes. who is really good for that one scene where, where you go into the room and it's covered in weird runes, but every time the rust monsters attack is going to be completely useless. <laughs> so just kind of plan to make everyone kind of okay at stuff, if you see what I mean. Yes, there's a basic competency. And I think you're right on niche protection. Me and Baz have mentioned this this previous as well like there should be spotlight opportunities or obvious spotlight opportunities for all the characters so they get a chance to do something you still might get people at the table who try to do all the things all the time Um, and if you need to jam in that's something you might just have to manage and make sure everybody gets a go (laughs) but uh, yeah if you set the characters up in a way that someone's obviously the choice for a certain type of situation and that situation comes up that makes it a lot easier to manage at the table. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it, there's another point, I think, on pregens at the table as well, in terms of making sure the player fits the character that they're playing. Not in terms of like personality or anything, but in terms of, so again, coming back to 13th Age, 13th Age has got some character classes that are really quite straightforward to play and some that are ridiculously complex. And so being mm. really open about that and being like, like if you, if you're wanting to play a trickster in 13th Age Glorantha, it'll really help if you've played 13th Age before because like when I'm explaining some of the rules, lots of them are going to have little tweaks and be different for you. So yes, trying to be... Some of the rules break the rules. And things yeah, like open about that. And, and also, I think sometimes if you do know some of the players, being a bit aware of who could dominate, I think one of my one of my pet hates not so much when i'm running but sometimes when i'm playing is if you've got like a science fiction or cyberpunk game and there's a techie character um very often like the the technician or computer whiz character could in theory solve every single scene that they come into um and so it's maybe being having the expectation that they should let other people shine and not have every time you go into a new area be right i'll find a computer terminal and hack into it and do this instead because um, that can just dominate the fun from it and it's uh it's 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 hard to design characters so that that doesn't happen because it is in genre really from there yeah yeah sure i, I think that's just a method of think you think about what scenes there could be that don't involve yeah. computers, don't you and that's sort of thing that's the other way to handle it is Think of really obvious scenes. We've got to talk your way out of something, or you've got to shoot your way out of something. Yeah, and that yeah. You go to the sort of you away. go to the gang hideout, and it's encased in copper or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's right. It's a Faraday cage yeah, yeah, or something. Absolutely, <laughs> got no signal in here. Yeah. <laughs> Someone lets off an EMP device. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, go. Yeah. Scene one. Randomly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's all good. The good friends of Jackson Elias are Scott Dawood, Paul Fricker, and Matthew Sanderson, and together. They talk on their podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and weird fiction, as well as other horror role-playing games. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or head over to BlasphemousTomes.com. So in terms of preparing, we've mentioned a lot about characters then again, setting them up for success, which is good. Um, How much preparation do you do in advance of a one-shot? Uh, I've got my own opinions on this, but I'll let you kind of lead, and then I'll tell you how I how I might differ. I think I think I will dodge the question a little bit by saying that the the key factor in how much prep I do is how experienced I am with the system, and in particular running the system for one shots beforehand. So, for instance, for something like Thirteenth Age, because I've run quite a lot of it, um, I have like a couple of pages of notes. I know what kind of monsters they're going to fight. I have some notes for the scenes they're going to get in between. And then, I mean, the other thing is 13th Age is kind of kitchen sink fantasy. So 
there's a lot of um, investment in the genre that you can rely on people doing. Um, for a game yeah. that I'm less confident with, so like I'm doing some prep for uh, the new, well, it's not that new, is it? The fifth edition Legends of the Five Ring game. Um, I've not played it before. I've not run it before. I really want to run some one shots of it. And I'm, I'm really kind of digging into to making sure that I, I can match stuff to it. And actually for a new system, sometimes what I do as well is I'll spend time making the pre-gens. I will sometimes, I'll do like a one page rules sheet because you need to know the rules, mm. don't you? And that's often a good way to, to pass them to make sure it works. I might even, if it's a really complex system, actually try out a little sample combat like myself, just work out well what happens if this, because that really helps you to work out how the rules fit in, fit together. Um, but yeah, once I'm, once I'm up to speed, it be a few pages. I have, I did did blog a bit. I tried to work out a, a common like pattern for doing my one shot prep, which was kind of a little introduction, um, a list of the NPCs, the characters in there, because I find that I get quite confused if I have too many of them. And I forget who they are. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, where, where, is that the blacksmith's <laughs> daughter? Or is that the like evil witch? I don't, so actually having that in one list there, <laughs> so I know. And then having them yeah. obviously either online in little cards or face-to-face having little handouts with them. And then like just scene by scene and little notes for transitions for how you'll get between them. Um, I kind of almost mm. always do that. And I, I, I really need to do it when, if I'm, if I'm running something that's already a published adventure. I'll still do that in terms of notes. So I'll try and process it and get some bullet points because actually I find, I don't know about you, I find it harder often to run something someone else has written because I've not internalized yes. what should happen at yeah. each stage and it's harder to busk those kind of links to get you between stuff. I don't know. What about you, Gus? Yeah. What's your... Yeah, it's, uh, it's well, I mean, it depends again what type of game you're playing and how well you know it, definitely. Uh, I think... I want to avoid the two extremes because you quite often see advance, uh, advance advice on Twitter and stuff that might be like, oh, you know, I, I can just pre- I can just run a game. I don't need to prep. <laughs> yeah. uh, like it's almost a badge of honour to not do anything and be lazy, which yeah. I find hard to give value to. To be honest, like, okay, good, good <laughs> yeah, for you. I can I run think, a really but, bad game. Like, I mean, it's no not. Prep. I can run a rubbish game with no prep. <laughs> yeah. Easy, yeah, go for it. <laughs> we can all do that. Like some prep generally helps you out. Uh, and then I've said other people like you need to consume yeah. an entire rule book, yeah. like four hundred and fifty pages, and know it all off by heart, and this, that, and the other. And it's like well, you don't have to like you know become a savant about the game to run it for a one shot either. So you know somewhere between those two extremes is normally where it lands. Uh, and the other thing I've, I've mentioned it before, but it bears repeating: is prep for me can sometimes just be thinking about yeah. what might happen, which you can do on a car journey or when you're in the shower or any other time when you've got a bit of idle time on your hands. Think what might the players do or what might that evil baron be up to actually and how can I demonstrate that in the game so prep doesn't have to be doing loads of stat blocks and you know making sure the characters are perfectly tweaked and all this kind of stuff it can just be thinking about what might happen in your session that might be cool you know interesting things that NPCs might say or all that kind of stuff I think all that helps and because there's good online tools now as well like um, Evernote or Google Keep yeah. or whatever it is you use to, to keep notes on your, your iPhone or your Android phone or whatever just keep little notes on them. and I found if you keep going back to it and dip it in if you've got a bit of time you'll build up quite um, a nuanced and rich little idea for your scenario by the time you've finished rather than trying to sit down in one session and go right yeah. I'm going to spend the next four <laughs> hours writing the best one shots I've ever done like you know do a bit write some ideas back and then just keep chipping at it I think that's a good way of putting it together. And then your prep's kind of like uh, a cup of tea that's been stewed for a long time, if you know what I mean. Like it's it's got a richness of flavour because you've you've taken the time over and you don't have yeah. to be constantly working on anything, but spread your ideas out over a bit of time and just refine yeah, them. And I think it's 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 worth saying, isn't it, that you prep for, although I've talked about a, a structure for it, um yeah, you're quite right, prep doesn't need to be a word document, um and it certainly doesn't need to look like any kind of published adventure at all even like the ones that I've put on my blog because when I've put them on my blog I've written them up into a way that 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 fits so that other people prep for other people to play compared to prep for you to play is is very different so don't feel like you need to write the whole the the whole kind of thing get it all down and and often I mean it it does vary with the game doesn't it I know I know you've run in the past quite a lot of hot war one shots so obviously prep for that looks very different when I run uh, PBTA Mm. games a, a lot of my prep is a list of stuff like just things that could happen or potential encounters or what people might do um 
Dungeon Worlds um, Front are really good for that, and there are similar similar techniques in Tales from the Loop and Vason and some of the, the, the Free League stuff where, as well as the scenes, you've got a little countdown for how things will get worse if if, if the PCs don't intervene. And that yes. that's really useful to have as a little backup for if pace is slowing to kind of interject and say, right, okay, suddenly this happens. Suddenly everyone falls asleep and the wind comes in and extinguishes all the candles. And it just reminds people, oh, it makes the world seem a lot richer because like something's happening. Which it's not all based around their agenda and how fast they get to stuff. Like things are going to happen in the background if they don't do it and give a sense of urgency to it. Yeah, it's worth having those bangs, as they're called, in the business. Yeah, they're just stuff you can throw in if things are going too fast. Perhaps you were rattling through. Like we we advocate pace, but you might have used most of your ideas in an hour if you're not careful. So yeah. Yeah. having other things that you can throw in there. It's good, and also to liven the players up, like you say. So it's that um, the old writing tip of men with guns walking. Yeah, it could be you know the Baron's men with crossbows walking. There's just this roving band of gunmen he's got in inverted commas that can just turn up at any point just to liven things up and yeah. get people moving. So yeah, it's worth having extra when you prep. I think that you won't use. You don't have to feel like you've wasted your time. I think it's worth having a couple of extra scenes or extra NPCs or something just in the back pocket if you need to throw some extra stuff in there. Completely, completely. And I think there's there's a there's an interesting thing about structure in terms of location-based modules, which I think are really straightforward to run in an ongoing campaign where you're not on a deadline, but are often really difficult to run in a one-shot because you've mm. got a pace that the PC's getting from one point to another. And if there are five rooms between where they go into the dungeon and where they exit the dungeon they could it's quite hard to predict like the room with all the mushroom spores they might spend five minutes in it because they might look in it and say we're not going in there it looks dangerous or they might spend like half an hour three quarters of an hour in there like investigating it and it, it might yeah. be and, and that that might be a good three quarters of an hour it's not it's not players turtling it might actually have some role play and and, and, and be really good so the, the thing that i tend to have for that is what i'd call like a collapsible dungeon so you have like a, a few places in it and you have an endpoint. how many rooms they need to get through to get to that point is variable and you can of yeah. course a lot of techniques like montaging and flashbacks really are really really useful in one shot so you can always say right okay you've and even be explicit about it and say right we're, we're coming we're getting a little bit short of time we've got an hour left of this game so we're going to just go through you continue to explore the dungeon like everyone go around and say one cool thing that they did in that one monster that you killed or whatever and then right okay you, you emerge in the evil high priest chamber and, uh, and you have the big kind of climactic battle that you were hoping for then yeah yeah, so your, your scenario should be like an accordion, is what you're saying. So you can stretch it out, yeah, 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 completely, depending on, depending on how, how your pace goes. I think it's and you've got lots of little buttons you can press on the side. Completely, as well yeah. I don't things. know. I, I think I think you started it off with the T analogy. That's maybe we'll see if we can continue yeah, this yeah. <laughs> where it goes to. <laughs> Who yeah. knows where we're going to go next? Yeah, so it it can be as well that. You can worry too much about one shots. I mean, we, the way we've been talking about them is in quite a lot of uh, convention games because that's what we run a lot of, or or pseudo conventions anyway. The way <laughs> the world is at the minute, but um, that that lends itself to have a certain time limit. So you feel like you have to fit it in. Obviously, if you're playing a one shot with friends or whatever, and you you're all happy to stay around, you can carry on playing as long as you want, or not going to have that earlier if you need to, and that kind of thing. So you know, play to the time you've got. That's that's not a problem. So take everything we're saying. Even if we say it's about uh, conventions, to you can modify it to your one shots. You play with your friends as well. We're just going to add in bits and pieces where we can because playing with friends is generally yeah. easier because you can be more flexible about it. Or even decide to have a second session if you want if things are going well and you haven't got through. Yeah, stuff. completely. So that's just a a caveat. Yeah, I think it's worth saying as well. I mean, you're saying about the the time pressure. I think one shots at conventions is. It, it can be quite a daunting thing and it can be, you know, even experienced gems can find it a little bit, can be a bit wary about it. Um, sometimes it's it's almost external things, isn't it? So that if you're at a convention, quite often if it's later in the convention, you're quite tired, um, potentially hungover. At some conventions you will be. At places like Expo, I always find it a bit stressful, like knowing which room you're in and knowing will all your players turn up yeah. and all those things can build it up. And I think it's it's worth saying that even even as kind of experienced GMs, you do get a bit of that nerves and a bit of that, oh, will it, will it work? I, the only advice that, that, that I've got for that is maybe, I don't know, just 
just just embrace that and just say well that that is going to happen everyone's going to have it lead into it a little bit and say right actually this is going to be think about in half an hour's time when you've handed out the character sheets and everyone's then doing this fantastic introduction of their character and then then the bandits attack and there's arrows flying everywhere it'll be you'll be in that flow and it'll all be much better than you thought it would go and you, you'll you'll have hit it and that's just just embrace that kind of pattern of you're doing something that is quite that is quite big and is quite scary and i know that convention organizers are, are really really like thankful for people to come and run at cons and it, it really it may mention you are being a part of that con if you go and run a game at it because that's the thing i mean the, the con that i'm involved in running seven hills like probably 99 percent of the convention is run by gms right? there's there's like a couple of traders and then everything else games there's not like the garrison conventions if you're not a game there's not really a lot you can do apart from spend money which is which is fine <laughs> got to morrison's maybe <laughs> yeah 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 nobody's sat in the bar or doing like doing a, a, a seminar or anything that's just games so you are you are a part of that con and you're a part of that community as well yeah yeah so if we talk a little bit about putting an adventure together to run a one shot yeah. and what might be in it we've sort of done it in broad brush terms and sort of saying having three or four scenes and you have some connecting pieces yeah. maybe and you have a couple of bangs to liven it up but a couple of thoughts i had around that and we'll see if you've got any anything else as well one was you've already mentioned try and show off the system to people especially with a new one. Oh yeah so that's an easy way of doing something if you're running your cyberpunk game you you want a scenario that shows one how to do a hack of something one's probably like how do you yeah. do a tense negotiation one might be a fight with street gangs or whatever it might be but think about the things that are in the system and do try and do a scene to show them all off and that's probably like the best part of your adventure right there yeah yeah like you know that's, if you think about the one ring having some kind of interaction and then a journey and then a fight well that's you know there's a good couple of hours there if you do it right if you, you put yeah. bits and pieces in yeah. it, you know, just... that's 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 classic tolkien that isn't it that's just yeah. Like, yeah. i think they're in Absolutely. middle earth <laughs> yeah yeah, I think I think that's the showcasing the system is a, is a, a really good one, and thinking in terms of the scenes, putting it together really works. I I think there's a balance sometimes between having the st- like. So for me, the start of the one shot is is pretty much how it's going to happen is is set in stone. Usually, the kind of finale, the like climax of it, is pretty much set in stone. You're going to fight this guy. Um, it's going to be a big kickoff, and then in the in the middle, it can be a little bit more loose. So you can have different opportunities for people to do. Um, I, I would always say that starting with a big action scene, I've, I have started one shots literally with, right, introduce your characters. Okay, you walk into the forest, roll initiative. Like, it, it yeah. does really help to start with a bang. You, you yes. want to try and avoid any turtling and like avoiding risk at the start and get them engaged in it. And even, again, we talked about flashbacks. You can do things where you start everyone at the gates of the castle midway through the mission about mm. to be ambushed by bandits and then do a little flashback of them getting the job get do a little flashback of the baron telling them what yes. he wants them to do because you're saying that's that's set that don't worry about about the, the player character engagement it like people have signed up to play a one shot the the description of it says they're going to go into this castle and kill this evil high priest then that's going to happen that there's not an option yeah. for them to say oh we're not going to go <laughs> like so start at the castle with them doing that and flashback yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely give that advice to a couple of gems where we do the usual, like, gonna go and see Mr. Johnson or an old wizard in the pub and he tells you how to do this. And, you know, you're half an hour, an hour into the session and then you start the adventure. It's like, well, let's not do that. And I think, like, Baz has run a game quite recently where he started off with, like, buy the statue that you're prizing the jeweled eyes out of in the yeah, middle of the dungeon. Yeah. And that's where you start from. And now you have to get it out. So you've got that really strong opening of, Okay, you're at the end of the dungeon, and the end, the end of the adventure is you're back home. So, what happens in between that? And that's, you know, a nice little way of uh, subverting expectations a little bit. So, if you want to add more twists and stuff, instead of red herrings or dodgy investigations, do something like that with the, yeah. the scenario. You know, think of a different way of where could you be when it starts, and what what's happened already, but that, that we could just call back to you later, like say with flashbacks or by things that NPCs say. Or oh, do you remember the battle of? xyz when we fought those orcs they've come back again i can't believe they're back can you (laughs) what do you mean and like the players normally will pick up on that and go and just like take it as red that they were part of that battle if you introduce it swiftly enough and get them onto the action yeah i've i've definitely started one shots with the players like chained up in the castle like which would be quite a mean thing to do in an ongoing campaign but it's quite a good um kind of grabby start like right you've got to escape 
like you're chained up mm. and then suddenly this other prisoner kind of whispers to you and says right we can get the guards I've, I've, I've made a knife or whatever and, and you yeah. start to do it and then you have a little kind of escape bit and then, then go back to it it's uh, definitely starting as close to in media res as you can is, is a good good move yeah and it's worth having some um, light and shade so yeah. although we say we suggest you know pushing pace if you're going to start off in media res then it's probably worth the next scene being a little calmer because if you yeah. just do aggressive rah rah what do you do like, I think sometimes mistake me when we say when I say pace they think that means you've just got to be constantly like frightened or on adrenaline all <laughs> yeah, the time yeah, for yeah. like four hours which is not really what I mean <laughs> it's stuff happening but the stuff in the game doesn't have to be like really fast paced if it, it can be the characters just want to chat amongst themselves and go like how did you end up in this dungeon <laughs> yeah. chained up <laughs> how did you make that knife and you yeah. know just have a little bit of a breather before yeah. you then move on again completely one one technique that i saw um recently in a game that was by um dirk the dice actually from the grugnard files was um it, it was kind of it was two dungeons in one so it was gamma world and we started near the end of one well effectively dungeon it's gamma world so it's dungeons and dragons but in the future with talking plants and animals and things so we started towards the end of one dungeon and finished that dungeon in the first like 40 minutes and then the artifact that we found we had a scene we tried to we took it back to the city and tried to work out what it was and that gave us the hook to do the second bit and that was really cool we mm. literally start started 90 percent of the way through one like old tsr gamma world module finished that one yeah. then went back and did it and that was a really good way to showcase the system and start in a Start start in the middle of something, but also have a feeling that things were moving and we'd achieved a lot in the time that was there. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new smart party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the smart party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! Uh, another way of sort of approaching doing your scenario writing as well is, we mentioned like making characters and making them suit the adventure. The other way to do it is to make the characters first and then work out what the adventure might entail. Totally, yeah. So if you've got like a rogue who's really good at climbing walls and picking locks and stuff like, well, you want a lock chest up in a tower somewhere, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Think that kind of thing, you know. Uh, and as well as backgrounds, like someone's got enemy of evil baron, it's like, okay, well, I guess the enemy's going to be an evil baron in this scenario <laughs> yeah. then, you know, just to get him involved, you know. Uh, so that can be, especially games that have got advantages and disadvantages in the system and things like that, or merits and flaws or whatever you want to call them. If you give the characters a bunch of those, that can very quickly give you an idea of the sort of things that might be going on yeah. in the scenario. Yeah. Give them stuff to bounce off as well. Give them stuff that will trigger that in terms of in terms of role playing, in terms of action. So there's stuff ready for it, I think. What else have you got on your list of exciting? I've got. Things? We've talked a lot about the start of the uh, one shot. I quite like as well at the end to do something. So um, obviously, always try and end with a, a big kind of climactic fight. Uh, well, not necessarily a fight. It could be a a non-combat challenge some yeah kind some of kind of confrontation uh, yeah. we'll maybe talk a bit more about the confrontation stuff in a bit but i, I quite like at the end of it because you want you want to make you really want a one shot to be a bit of a slice of life and feel like that the, the characters that have been played did something before they did this kind of four hour one shot and will do something afterwards so i like to do a little um kind of aftermath scene where it's like the credits roll and we go around the table and each player says, right, okay, now you've defeated the evil Baron. Like, what do we see the halfling doing? Like, how's he celebrating this win? How do we do it? And it's, it, it gives yeah. an opportunity as well because often you'll get kind of, okay, the thief's coveting this gem and staring into it and thinking that he's not going to give it back to the rest of them. You get a little bit of, um, you get a little bit more development and it's a nice way to sign off the game and kind of, it sounds a bit cheesy, but like say goodbye to those characters. And say like you've done it, you've played this characters right. Okay, this is this is the end. This is what they're doing after the adventure, and it feels like that that kind of life goes on. Yeah, in that or, or not in the case of a TPK, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 don't do that if you've killed them all. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> How do your grieving relatives react to this news? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A really depressing <laughs> scene of like, everyone <laughs> opening the letter. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I mean I mentioned For the evil barons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. 
he did have he, he was an enemy he did get the 20 character points for having me as an enemy the, so he had it covered really. the, the insurgents of <laughs> executed yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think one thing that i mentioned there that i think that i think is really useful in one shots is and, and we kind of we, we, we've skirted around it by saying show off the system but i think it's really good to have um non-combat like skill challenge type things um mm. lots of systems have a way of doing it uh, but it's really good to have an action scene that includes engages a bit with the system but isn't necessarily a fight so like a chase um, or a like tense negotiation in in one in the one ring um the like introduction social conflict is really good because everyone gets to introduce themselves to some cool like radagast or somebody in in the setting um but that's that's a good way to have a structured scene where there isn't a fight going on but everyone gets a to take turns and everyone gets a, a kind of impact in it and it it showcases characters in a different way hmm. yeah yeah I, I mean some systems are better like the one wing's good because it has like three separate systems yeah basically, depending on what you're doing so that that breaks it up but as you say even things like uh D fourth edition has skill challenges yeah where you can you have to get a certain number of successes in skill roles and I think the way you you do it, and, and I've seen other people do it as well, and I've done it to be fair, is uh, allowing players to use whatever skill they want. Oh, totally, yeah. So, you know, if it's a, a seven samurai type thing, and the orc bandits are coming back to take the food out of the goblins' mouths or whatever, and you've got time to sort of train the goblins up or set some defences, you just throw it to the players and say, what do you do in this montage scene of you getting the village prepared yeah. to help out the villagers? And they can pick a useful skill they've got and describe that in a certain way to, to add some flavour to the adventure as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that it really helps to throw it back. So, and I, I will admit that sometimes you get like these amazing descriptions of what they're doing and I will turn it back on the players even to be like, uh, okay, what skill What skill is that then? I've got no idea. Like, <laughs> what, what, what were you thinking of rolling? I'm like, uh let's work something out so yeah i think giving a bit of an option for that really really helps even if it's just like at its most basic right we'll each roll a skill to prepare for it and then like we'll look at how many successes we get and that'll be how successful it's been and that'll determine how 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 well it how well it fits when we actually come to the battle um it doesn't have to be massively Mm. complicated and i think that i suppose there is in that a bit of a you need to be a bit wary if you're running a one shot about making it over complicated and some of those skill challenge systems can be um chase rules i'm looking at them particularly in probably 90 percent of games <laughs> tend to be far more complicated than they need to be um yes. i ran i ran a chase in D fifth edition a few weeks ago using D's chase rules and i will not be using them again um <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a, a more complicated but less exciting way of doing a fight it was a bit weird so just be aware yeah. that if you are using skill challenges have a think about is this am i going to have to teach a whole system and is it easier to just have right everyone make a skill roll and we'll work out what happens from there that makes sense yes yeah specifically on chases i've not found chase rules i get on with particularly they all seem yeah. overly complicated they're all specifically different than everything else yeah. that's in the game for some yeah. reason. They've, like grappling and chase are the two things that seem to have their own like mini games that you have to engage with rather than being part of just the normal game that you're playing anyway. Uh, but specifically for chases, what I do is already decide what features there are along the route yeah. that the chase is going yeah. to take. So you can have the classic of two guys with a pane of glass walking across the street, and there's normally boxes of chicken <laughs> somewhere or whatever it might be. <laughs> Um, or if it's like you know a rooftop jumping from rooftop to rooftop yeah. or something but think of some beats that will be along the chase and then you can make it like a little bit of a skill challenge and like can you get to X number of successes before the enemy does otherwise they've caught you but to make it interesting after each roll have a feature yeah. in the world that's there or you know there's like a, you stand on a dead dog or something yeah. or like just really random stuff yeah. but just something to make it not Okay, I need to roll uh, athletics five times in a row now for me to tell you get because that can be a bit dull. But I think that liven it up a bit. I think that links to something that I'm 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 going to ask you, and I think I know what your answer is going to be about this because um, often <laughs> chasers have um, a lot of systems. This is maybe why they, is they have like random rolls for that. So after you've done your turn, mm. you roll randomly to work out whether it's like on a one, it's the box of chickens, the two, it's the dead dog, or whatever. And it's it's presented as I'll oh, do that random rolling at the table. And then you also get games where it's um, like, okay, if you fail, you roll on this table to see what happens. Um, where do you stand on like randomly rolling things in a one shot? I, I mean, personally, for me, I do the random rolling in advance. Yeah, I have my own lonely fun. Yeah. 
you can still do a random rolling, but why like why upset yourself by rolling something that you don't want to see <laughs> or you don't think fits? Yeah. Or you're now trying to like fit into the shoehorn into the rest of the chase. In addition to trying to manage everybody's expectations and people like five people are asking you stuff at once and yeah. you know, can I do this and how do I help him out and what's the rule for this and all that kind of stuff. I know a lot of James likes oh, I can fly by the seat of my pants and it's all great. Which if you can, good for you. But my recommendation would be do your fun lonely stuff in advance so you've got a good idea about what's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean I just it just makes a lot of sense. Because the other thing is playing games, I like the idea of it's a bit Wizard of Oz in that there might be loads of stuff that's prepped out in advance ahead of me as a player, but I don't see that because some guy behind the couch yeah. doing all that. I just see the, the Wizard of Oz yeah. face doing the talking to me, and I don't want to peer behind the curtain, even though I know the guy's there and I know the curtain's there. But as long as the, the sort of like very similitude's there and I'm I can a plausible deniability yeah, of the yeah. mechanics the gym might be doing. He's it just as long as it seems like it's a natural chase with all these random things suddenly coming up, I'm perfectly happy with that as a player. Completely, a yeah. You need that. You need the wizard of Oz behind the curtain with a well-stewed cup of tea of everything that's going to fit in. <laughs> and all the I think, I think I, that that's what I think. I, yeah, random rolls. Yeah, do them in advance so you can have a look at them. I think doing it at a table is just like why? Why would you risk it? It doesn't. It, one thing's going to happen. It doesn't make it more exciting that you roll the dice to look at it. Like just. Do it. I mean, to be, to be honest, I do that even not in one shops. Like, like I'm running Mutant Year Zero at the moment. And there's lots of like randoms and that, and I I do those before the session because I, I don't want to run yeah. the risk of like it being a point in the game where we could. It's been a bit like low, and we could do with a bit of an action scene, and then I roll like, oh, you just you know something. You see some funny colored grass ahead, and it's like, oh right, okay, <laughs> that that happens yeah. then. Um, you, you want the options to be able to pick it and. <laughs> As I say, sometimes the middle ground is having a list of stuff you can pick from. Yes. And so right, I've got a few options, and then you can read the room and think, well, what's what's a good thing to put in here? And maybe they need that, maybe they need that, and just ha- have some options ready, ready prepped for it rather than roll randomly. Yeah, uh, and it depends. It's like everything. It depends on you and your players as well. Some people are perfectly happy rolling at a table. Yeah. Like certainly for OSR-style games. And everybody gets excited to the dice rollers and what's popped up. So if that's your jam, go yeah. for that. Feel feel good about it and if your players are particularly good and like creating ideas for themselves you can always get them to say what comes next I think some of the beta Call of Cthulhu rules that, that may have come out but didn't to the end through all the playtests then it falling out but yeah. one of them was if you made your skill roll in the chase you as a player got to dictate what the next scene was almost so you burst through like the balcony uh, doors yeah. what do you see well if you fail the GM decides it's going to be like a massive wall but if you succeed the, the players decide and it might be there's a car in the driveway or something so that can be fun you know yeah, but it's just sort of got to be careful that you're with a bunch of players that are down with that sort of thing and come up with stuff because the last thing you want is so what do you see then and players all stare at you and they don't know what to say and they're not used to having that kind of narrative yeah. control where they can just invent cars and driveways or something so you you definitely can roll around on tables or make stuff up but do it with people who know what they're doing or you know that they know what they're doing I would suggest rather than six fresh first people at Gen Con or whatever who might not be used to that sort of game yeah and you're also using the chase rules so that everyone's confused anyway (laughs) including you potentially (laughs) absolutely Um, yeah I I wonder about props actually if we should talk about props because when I say props, I'm not I'm not particularly got in mind like as a pirate. cosplay or anything. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, put the hat on. Yeah, um, but the things like NPC cards, whether you have them on a virtual tabletop or hand them out, um, you often see at conventions people with standees, like little character portraits, ready for yeah. pre-gens to put in front of them. I don't know what what your what your views on those. Uh, I love them generally, like stuff like that. Having artifacts to hand out. If you've got if yeah. you're giving people a, mes- a message or they've got the telegram with a mission on it. Like you can get a template on the internet for a telegram, like you know that you can just type into. Yeah. So like, give them the actual mission. So if at any point you're there, sort of like flagging a bit, wondering where to go next, it's like, well, what did Grand Uncle Bulgaria send you? What was the What was he asking you to do? Yeah. Like yeah. you can literally reread it. Go, what are we supposed to be doing, here, lads? And, and sort it out that yeah. way. I'm not as massive a fan of having PC portraits. Weirdly, I'd rather the players decide. Like you were saying about like what movie star are you or something like that. I'd rather players yeah. are allowed to stamp, and especially certainly in more enlightened times right now where you could be any gender. So don't gender your character, yeah. just give them a last name or something or a, a weird fantasy name yeah. and you can do whatever you want. I wouldn't want to pigeonhole people like that, but for NPCs certainly, 
the number of times I've been in games, certainly if there's a lot of NPCs, and by a lot I mean like more than four or five, because that's too many yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah. Or if you're playing yeah. Legend of the Five Rings, for example, where they've all got pseudo-Japanese names, and that can be difficult yeah, yeah, for yeah. Western audiences. Like, just have like cards with NPC names on you can put in front of people. Yeah. And you could do it on a, you know, you could have it on A4, you could have it on a slide share with PowerPoint if you want, you could do whatever you want to, to kind of demonstrate yeah. it. But if they're on little cards people can mess about with, then they can rearrange them as they want. Like when they want to like put split them into goodies and baddies, uh, do some sort of investigation chain. If they want to put like the target in the middle of the board and draw red lines to other things that might be happening, yeah. you know, that's all good. Yeah, turn them upside down when they've killed them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if they're little card protectors in, in real life, you can use like a red watercolor pen or whatever it is, or you know, water yeah, water, and yeah. just like, cross through them or write notes on them to kind of go like, oh, he was in the yeah. club at six o'clock? Question mark or things like that. Yeah, I think yeah, I think they're really good. And I think even I think even when I don't have like NPC portraits ready, if I'm doing something where I've not really had the time to prep that, I'll have little, um, well, all rolled up little um, index cards, yes, the, like the dry wipe index cards. cards. Yeah. So if they meet an NPC, even if I don't have a portrait ready, I'll write their name down and put it in the center of yes, the table. Yes, that's Just they know that they're there and the NPC. Um, the same for place as well. I think my test is almost where, where you where you meet an NPC or find a clue. If it's something where the players are going to like want to all write it down, then it's like, well, you should write it down and put it in the middle of the yeah. table for them rather than have everyone taking notes. Particularly when, you, I, it, one of my personal things, when someone says, oh, how do you spell that? It's like, <laughs> you don't know how you spell it. You just heard it. <laughs> you just heard a clue and it doesn't matter how to spell it. Like, <laughs> just, it's not going to be a part of the adventure which is to do with you misspelling it and being hilarious for us around yeah, that yeah. or something. Yeah, well, it turns out the Baron won because you were talking about the wrong guy. You pronounced it wrong. So, yeah, having those ready. I, I think I, I'm the same with PC portraits. I think it's, I, I, I prefer them to be like, it's up to the it's up to the player what they look like and they can describe themselves and have that ownership of them. And particularly, I don't, I mean, I, I, I know some people are big fans of having the big standees that are on the on the table. I, I find they get in the way a bit. Yes. You've, got, you've all got these like, You've all got these like ac- acrylic plastic things around you. Mm. Um, in terms of having a name like badge, just fold up an index card and write it on there if, if you want to encourage yeah. people to use each other's names. Have that out with maybe the player name as well because, we, I mean, we, we haven't talked that much about the thing at a convention if you're playing for strangers. There's obvious stuff like introduce yourself, make sure everyone's you know knows who they're playing with yeah. like introduce the with your real name as well, not just the name of the dwarf <laughs> you're playing today. Yeah. Um, and and all that kind of stuff about take breaks, like with the table, you know, have yeah, safety have tools, safety tools, tools kind of stuff, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean that is one thing I do have I sometimes print out little standees. If you have uh, Microsoft Excel you can kind of rotate the text fifty percent and then yeah. do a so you can do the forward and backward if you know what I mean. You can you can write the name yeah. in two different directions and then do those little standees so that everybody can see it from both sides. I think just having a name is fine. I think it's when it's those, you know, A five acrylic boards. Because, you know, some conventions I've been to, and I'm struggling as a GM to have space to put my stuff down. Like, never yeah. mind, like, maps or, you know, anything else. It's like, can I please have some space on the table to roll my own dice? Because it's like yeah. the game I'm running. Can I allow to yeah. join it? So, yeah, uh, sometimes stuff's at a premium. And I think, as well, for a virtual tabletop even, if you've got portraits of all the PCs, and then start trying to have maps and put NPCs there and all the rest of it. Yeah, like yeah. some of us have two screens and it's great and you do all this kind of stuff, but you know, you've got to be aware other people are just going to be on a, a MacBook or an iPad or something and they haven't yeah, necessarily got yeah. the real estate to have too many things on there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's probably a message in kind of online play as well to maybe not be too, because a lot of us are doing online one shots now to not not spend longer making online assets and preparing Roll20 than you have doing the actual game mm. if you see what i mean it's a good like, rule of thumb yeah. That, yeah that's one aspect of, of prep but actually all the stuff that you do in in having scenes in your head and having stuff ready to go can happen and i've i've played in some really good um online one shots where it's it's just been hangouts or just been meet mm. and we've just rolled dice you know ourselves without i've pl- played some really good ones where it's where it's been roll 20 set up as well but like i, I think that's not that's not a crutch if for if the rest of the game isn't prepped and you haven't got your scene sorted out. That's like an icing on the cake thing to have yeah. your VTT all, all set up and looking nice. I think that's I think. that's the same in real life as well. You know, I used 
Yeah. Which I'd probably make fancy character sheets, but there's no need to do that. You don't have to spend hours. You can just use whatever the standard PDF sheet is, or write a Word document, or whatever you need to do. Yeah, like, don't yeah. worry about it. But like, I, I like doing that kind of stuff, so I do the arts and crafts thing as well because it yeah. keeps me happy and it's lovely fun. <laughs> <laughs> what was I, I was going to say about VTT? There's something else. Oh, it's from a game I played quite recently, actually, um, which a uh, good friend of the show. Uh, Matt at Luke the Corpses on Twitter uh, used, which was it was the investigative style game. It's um, City of Mists, I think it is. Oh yeah, which, which yeah. is a Powered by the Apocalypse style investigative superheroes thing. And it was definitely useful in the investigative game, but you can use it in other games as well. In that every sort of not quite hour, maybe every forty forty five minutes, if, especially if we were thinking too long about something, with too long being defined on by yourselves about how long you think yeah. it is but he would say okay well this is what you know so far just to remind you I yeah. just list the things yeah. again and on a virtual tabletop that's something you can literally write on a post-it note or something and go you know the Baron's evil you also know that he controls the silver mines you also know there's a weird plague coming out of the forest yeah, and yeah. there's a witch there like so what you know what are your next steps and just clarifying what the players actually know at certain points helps them make decisions yeah and i think there's there's different levels of that isn't there where you might just clarify it with some groups you won't need to do that with some groups you'll need to do that with some groups you might actually have to be right okay so you can go to the silver mines or you can go and ask around town at the baron or you could go like you could go back to the castle and ask them again but they're not going to tell you anymore because you've like yes you've done that bit be clear about what bits are, are already like done prune some of the options off that, yeah yeah be really yeah. clear about especially it. when you hear people talking about it and you think there's nothing more to be gained like like you say be up front and go you think there's nothing more to be gained yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you get the sense he's told you all he's going to tell you and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. then he walks out of the pub and you can't speak to the wizard anymore like, <laughs> and he rides off yeah. Yeah, as fast as he can yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I've used that quite recently on a, a Cthulhu game where there's for some reason, the scenario, there's like three guys that went on this expedition, or two guys and a girl, and two of them are back at the university, and one's off with his mother because his mother was yeah. ill. And that straight away set up a flag for the players, and they wanted to go and visit him yeah. because he was the dodgy one. He wanted to come <laughs> yeah. back. It's like, no, it's like it says in the scenario, he's literally just gone to visit his mum because she's ill. Yeah. But they were, they, like, they were convinced they had to go, despite my hate. So I said, okay, yeah, you go. Uh, it's all legit. His mum is ill, and isn't telling anything different than the two yeah, people didn't just, tell you and now you're back at Miskatonic University what do you want to do next yeah you know? just fast forward that bit there's dead ends of time waster just <laughs> skip to the end get to the good yeah. bit that's the pace thing I was talking about yeah and I suppose there's all the stuff about clues about investigative games there's a whole raft of stuff about that isn't it it's things like having lots of clues pointing to the same place so it's really flagged that that's make yeah. it more obvious than you would expect um, to do it because yeah I've I've had similar situations where you, you have like your mission briefing or whatever and there's a couple of things that for whatever reason you think it doesn't quite add up and then you end up as a player like questioning everything and say well was was it genuine was that legit or wasn't it and and doing nothing and just kind of wandering around in circles for a little bit before it turns out it, it, it is and it it's just not been as clear as it, it should have been if you see what i mean yeah yeah i mean i've had one game i played quite recently there was a guy we were supposed to be like getting a jewel out of the house and we more or less got there and we could see the front door and one of the other players decided that like he's really concerned about what's going to happen to the clock room attendant yeah. <laughs> who got dragged off and started wandering. It's like, where are you? Go- what, what are you doing? Like, it speaks to your point that players will find other things to do that yeah. you, you can't possibly think of. So don't don't worry about coming up with too many nuances of different things yeah. that might be going on because they'll just decide that the turnip farm is really important <laughs> even though and you have to come up with a name for them on the fly and things like that yeah. so uh, another good thing for one shots is to have a list okay. of setting appropriate oh, names on a little piece of paper so you can you can use them at a moment's notice yeah especially if you're running uh yeah legend of five rings or vason or something where you might need a, a list of yeah. like 19th century swedish names too <laughs> otherwise everyone's going to be called <laughs> <Yeah>. like freya and <laughs> like there's the one name that you think of. Oh, another Sven. Yeah. Okay, another Sven. Is that really? Yeah, yeah. That's all you can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we're about time, actually, guy. We've we've, we've rattled through sure, loads yeah. of advice there. Have you got any sort of parting thoughts on cool bits that you've not yet mentioned? The the main thing is, I mean, just have a go. Keep it simple. Focus on pace. Everything that we've said is just prep some scenes. Have some loose ways to do it. Be aware of pace, not just as keeping everything really fast, but having fast and slow. So there's a space for able to breathe and yeah don't don't be worried about being a bit more on rails than you would have for a campaign um as long as the the scenes that you have are entertaining and, and fit together well that's that's fine and people won't 
people won't mind that oh we didn't we didn't get an option of whether we went to the castle and fought the evil baron or not actually my character wanted to go back to the turnip farm like you're already invested in a one shot yeah. in doing that so so let them do it and make them do it and have them have them do that i think yeah i think the one i don't know if they explicitly mentioned it yet but we sort of hinted at it is when you're starting your game and you've done your intros and whatever else is like really clearly say what the mission is yeah and what's expected of the players yeah. So if you are all the good guys and you're there to save the goblin village from the evil snowhawks, like lay that out and say this is what your characters will be doing. Don't like don't allow people to look at the characters and go, oh, well actually I'm an iron guild mercenary and I hate goblins, so I'd never help them. Like just don't don't <laughs> yeah. even let that thing get into the game. And just be making it clear so you can bring that up again if the players are getting lost. If they've ended up going I don't know, to Kyoto to buy more bamboo poles so they can yeah. bring back to help defend the village. Whatever it is they're doing that's like miles away from where they should be. Just say, well, remember guys, the orcs are coming in one day. And <laughs> yeah, so like yeah, a two-day yeah. journey to Kyoto. So like, you might want to concentrate on that. Yeah. Uh, remember what the mission is yourself as Jem, having a little piece of paper, even written as the title of the adventure if you want. And if, once the players know what they're supposed to be doing, you're the good guys or, you know, one of you is a traitor, but you don't know who, or whatever yeah, the, the yeah. scenario is about. Like, just say it really clearly and, yeah. and keep bringing it back. We could go on for another hour, I'm sure, with uh, yeah. more stories and yeah, more advice and various other things. But perhaps we should leave it there. Uh, if anybody else wants any more advice, you can always go back into the Smart Party back catalogue, of course. You can check out the YouTube channel where guys led us through some various games. Vason uh, will be coming up probably a week or two after this podcast goes live, so you can go and watch how we play a game in real life if you want some tips. And of course, there's Guy's blog, which I will link to in the short notes, which is Burn After Running, which is collected a bunch of different things about running convention and one-shot games for your edification. So thanks for being on once again, being our stunt bars. Cheers, Guy. yeah. It was a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And uh, we shall see you all next time on What Would The Smart Party Do?